Yeah. Hey, welcome to All Over VoiceOver with Kip VH. Uh, well, welcome. I don't know when you're listening. I don't know when you're tuning into the show. Uh, you, well, you can listen in and out of sequence. It's all good. With me in studio today, the lovely, the talented Ms. Rachel Butera. Hello, everybody. Dude, uh... We've known each other what since I want to say I, I want to say when did you move to Los Angeles? You well, have been here for a while. Or? I've been here since 2011 August, but okay. I didn't meet you till I went to CESD, which yeah. was like two years ago. Yeah, yeah, two and a half years. That ago. That sounds about right. Well, I, you were in the first Voice NATO, and it was shortly after. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. So that would be 2012. Yeah, yeah, 2012. Yep. Oh God. So a while now. Yeah. Yeah, man. This is so fun. <laughs> I know. I love it. How hey, listen, you- I love to talk. <laughs> That's what I do. <laughs> What did you um what 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 brought you over to CEST? Um I don't we don't have to go into super yeah, no. detail but if I you just want. needed a change. I was just oh. looking for a change. It was probably um foolishness and I don't mean that I love CEST. They're great to me and yeah. we've had some uh, awesome jobs together. But uh I was new pretty new to voiceover and I was with William Morris and I just for some reason got it in my head like oh maybe I should switch instead of being super grateful that I had zero voiceover experience and that William fucking Mar- William Morris signed me. <laughs> it's okay. Sorry. It's all PG right. his 8-year-old's listening. That's Sorry. all right. Well, yeah. She's heard it. That's fine. Quarter in the uh, piggy bank. That's um, right. so yeah, so uh, so I just thought I needed a change, and and then I was like, why did I? Why did I really do that? You know, I mm. didn't really know why. Um, but uh, it worked out great because I met you, and mm. we did voice NATO, and I met some awesome people, and the agents at CESD are really, really great. Just amazing. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, you 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 got started because of the Howard Stern show, is that right? Yeah. I mean, I started I started dabbling in voiceover a little bit before that cuz people just always told me you should do it, you should do it. So I started like from my corporate job just looking on Craigslist for voiceover jobs. Yeah. And I did like the Korean Produce Association with my like little crappy mic plugged into a laptop and I did um little stupid things off of Craigslist here and there and I was going to Edge Studio to get Get a demo made, and okay. then in the interim, uh, the Howard Stern contest happened, the impression contest, yeah. and then it all start, started to go from there. So, with, with your just your background, I mean, you're you're from New Jersey, right? Yep. And what what's I mean, what led you just down this path? You always kind of played with voice and done done impressions and things. And- yeah, I've always done impressions since I could speak. I would always mimic everybody back, as you probably yeah. did too. Yeah. Movies like from the time you were a kid, like repeating every movie line in character and stuff. <laughs> and like I remember driving around in my father's Cadillac. Like my father was always home during the day and he would take me on rides and he'd play the Kenny Rogers cassette. And I would like sing the whole thing as Kenny Rogers, but like as a little girl, you know, so he would just crack up. But they didn't know what to do with me. They yeah. didn't know what it was. They just were like, she's funny and weird, this kid, you know. Yeah. Um. So I didn't know that there was anything to be done with it. And yeah. uh, I didn't do anything with it until I was about 38 years old. Wow. Yeah. Great yeah. fun at parties. <laughs> yeah, well, I yeah, apparently I was the the life of the party, but I didn't know that until I went on the Howard Stern show, and then everybody started coming out of the woodwork on Facebook, like you were always so funny in high school. I'm like, who are you? You know, yeah. all of a sudden I was like, oh no, you were. We always knew, but um, <clears throat> I guess because I was always imitating people, people yeah. were like laughing, and they sort of took note of it. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was just a way of like defending myself against bullies mm. and stuff, I guess. Yeah. I don't know if that's what it was for you. I absolutely was. Yeah. I had a very similar experience where I, I didn't know um I, I didn't know what I grew up in among a lot of, you know, we were my town is right on the cusp of the farming part of 
Grand Rapids mm-hmm. and then the metropolitan part of Grand Rapids. We were kind of the seam. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of kids who were, you know, whose parents owned like motorcycle dealerships and they had Marlboro Miles jackets in fifth grade and they were, <laughs> and they were little badasses and they and and looked for a weakness. And, yeah. I, you know, I'm an empathic, sweet little Dutch covenant youth. <laughs> You're so Dutch looking. Oh, it's horrible. I blend in whenever I go to Stockholm. I go, whenever I go to Stockholm, because I just go to Stockholm. <laughs> At a <twice>. moment's notice. <laughs> At a moment's notice, I might just jet off to Stockholm. Who knows? <laughs> But like, but it was absolutely part of that of like, if I, it was off of Bugs Bunny. Cause like if Bugs would get out of trouble with Yosemite Sam or mm-hmm. Elmer Fudd by kissing them or being stupid. <laughs> yeah. And that was kind of the defense mechanism too. Yeah. But you're not conscious of it at the time. No. We were just like, it's, it's literally just becomes, I don't even know how it gets in your system, but, uh, maybe people like us are just more sensitive to cartoons and to entertainment type things and just to certain sounds that we're able to absorb them and then spit them back out because yeah. I know plenty of people who don't do this and don't know how to do it yeah. watch the same cartoons as me the same movies as me and yet <clears throat> have no inclination for it at all so yeah. maybe it's a combination of like being sensitive having an ear because I'm always trying to figure out like why are we able to do so many voices that, you know like, yeah. what is it is it a brain thing is it an ear thing um who knows a sensitivity thing like a microphone i don't know yeah but it's really pretty fascinating i i agree i think i've never really sat down and thought about the why behind it it's just kind of been something that i don't know what else to do so i just do this thing yeah and then and then find you know if whether it was you know to for attention or and I, I didn't feel like it, I, like I needed or wanted that kind of attention. I yeah. just wanted to make people laugh. I know that's all it really is. Well, because it, then it, it disarms them, and they're less likely to make fun of you or bother you. Yeah. Although I still got abused. Like, I, <laughs> I guess I wasn't that funny, but I had a pretty, <laughs> I had a pretty rough time as a kid and a teenager. Um, yeah. And making them laugh didn't really. Well, it didn't help the boys. The girls kind of left me alone, but the you know the boys tortured me. Mm. Um, yeah, because boys don't care about funny girls. Right? Right. And that's what it is. I guess. Yeah, don't I don't care. know. I, I don't know what <laughs> I don't know what those guys think or what they're like, because it was like being around, uh, you know, douchebag guys. And there were uh, plenty of them mm-hmm. as a target. I never understood what it was about. I, no. I didn't. I wasn't doing anything to them. I never. And I've made peace with it. I had a fight in high school that ended all of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You kicked ass. Yes. Yeah, that's what you got to do. I did. I kicked ass and and scraped scalp is what – I mean, I don't know what happened in that fight. I wish flight. I did that. I never Boy. fought back, so I was never respected. It, it was it was a weird feeling of I had grown up into a body that I didn't know that I was able to have that level of control. And I, I, remember, I remember he punched me. And I didn't roll with the punch. Mm. And that was when he knew he was in trouble. <laughs> and he got – 12 years of bullying, you know, from kindergarten to, to 10th grade or ninth grade. He got the rage of that. Yeah. And, uh, along with his head pounded into a locker and no one ever messed with me again, but it was. It's like Ralphie in Christmas story. It, it's exactly that. Once he finally beat up that dude. 
Yeah. And that was it. The Scott Farkas affair. Yeah. <laughs> but the other part of that too was the tears after too. Like I didn't, I didn't feel bad about what I had no, done to them. No, but it's such a release. Oh my God. Years of stress, like you said. Yeah. Man, I never got that satisfaction. I never got hit and I never hit anybody hmm. like in the face. So that never happened. But they just, the girls, like they, people just taunted me like hmm. in the hallways, they would yell shit and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and I don't know why either. I never bothered anybody. I certainly wasn't the pretty girl stealing everyone's boyfriend. That was not the case. So I don't really know what it was. Hmm. Um, I can only imagine they were jealous of our amazing <laughs> talent. I think that's what it is right? because now, uh, and now I toast them. Uh, yes. And, and, uh, and it's fine. Enjoy. And it's, and, uh, and, uh, I actually just saw one of my tormentors on the streets of New Jersey. Mm. I just got back from there and uh, mm. I saw him from afar. He was in front of a salon because he's like a big time hairstylist or whatever now. Mm-hmm. And I just was like, oh my God, I ran the other way before he had a chance to spot me. Um, he definitely shaped a lot of my self image and all that stuff growing wow. up. And, um, he was immune to my, my, my comedy. He was immune uh, to it. He didn't yeah. care. So who knows what? It's amazing how deep-seated the rage still is for me, too. Me, too. I'm, I'm, I'm a very angry person, as you might have surmised by now. <laughs> I can't ever stop cursing or being cynical. Now I'm filled with anger, filled with it. I And I go to therapy, and I don't know how to dispel it. You know, there, hmm. the, I read all these books, like, you have to be in touch with your anger, and you have to show it, and you have to display it. I do, and mm-hmm. it's still there. I don't know. I don't know what you're supposed to do with that. I would love to release it, though. You know. Yeah. Um, but I don't know how. But then again, maybe it fuels what we do to I, some extent. I know? think yeah. it does to yeah. a certain extent. I, 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 I've always hated the phrase. Uh, when I, I, I'll get like it could be something as simple as a movie review, mm-hmm. and I get worked up about it, and I'm talking about it, and then someone will go, "Geez, Kev, why don't you tell us how you really feel?" Yeah. And I, th- that phrase unlocks something in me mm-hmm. that makes me want to go, I haven't even begun. <laughs> Let me start telling you. You know what I mean? It's like, don't – just, just because this space doesn't necessarily feel conducive to this level of emotion, mm-hmm. uh, I feel comfortable enough to share it in this space. And if you're uncomfortable with that – yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, and listen, I'm with you. I mean I'm a very passionate person about mm-hmm. many, many topics and – there's a lot of times where you're expressing it and people, just, they just don't know how to deal with that sort of level of like intensity. And yeah. so they're just like, all right, oh my God, you know. Yeah. But um, yeah, I don't know. What are you going to do? What are you doing? <laughs> I <laughs> mean, you have to be able to summon that kind of intensity to do cartoons and do yeah. this and do that, you know, all this voice stuff, especially when you're standing alone in a booth and there's no one else around and you're just called upon to like bring it all up out of you. Yeah. Um, maybe the anger and the rage is like part of that. I don't know. It definitely fueled my comedy work at Second City. Mm-hmm. Um, it still does to a certain extent. Yeah. And certainly like characters and in particular like sort of darker energy characters. Yeah. But I mean, I, don't, I also don't get, don't get called to audition for puffballs on, on Disney Junior. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> that often. Yeah. Uh, but, but you know, I mean, it's it's interesting how that stuff lives and, and I try – to not mask it too much. I think of you as a happy person, though. I don't think of you as feel like I feel like you. When I walk into the lobby of CESD and I'm like doing my thing, you're just like, God, she's so horrible. She's just so angry all the time. What an evil bitch. I don't think that at all. You seem so like, yeah, everything's good, man. Everything's great. Uh, I'm. You're just lying. No, I'm not. 
because here's here's why here's why everything is good and everything is great and I'm happy about it. Um, I, I'm standing at the gate of the place that allows me to be able to live my dreams, mm-hmm. and it spent forty years getting there. Yeah. And uh, if you caught me when I was a courier at a mental institution, or whoa, I want to hear all about that. That was I, I grew up in and around it. Wow. My grandfather was the chaplain at Pine Rest Christian Hospital. So my mother like literally grew up on the grounds of this institution. Oh, my God. So all of us, all of my brothers have all worked there in one way or another. I worked on the units and pre-adolescent and, and, and adolescent units. Uh, kids, uh, you know, that's during college. Wow. And did like deliveries of material management and pharmacy and scripts and worked all over. I worked – I I was like a soda jerk <laughs> like <laughs> there, like like the people from the group homes would come yeah, down yeah. and I'd make malts and oh stuff like that. Oh my god! So so that place was, I mean, and then and then the mental health around Grand Rapids. So I worked in all those environments where I was like in charge of light industrial production with a group of developmentally disabled adults for a couple of years Oof. before I moved. Before I uh, right when I was still in college and waiting for my first wife to graduate from college. Mm-hmm. So like I've I've done my time of yeah. you know being on sitting there on division having a cigarette outside of the light <laughs> industrial production watching the snowfall going I gotta oh figure out God. how to get out of this town <laughs> I have no idea how to no get out of this town No wonder you're so grateful Oh man Oh jeez Yeah well, yeah, I can see that. Well, I was just telling my friend the other day. She's like, you're probably the one person that I'm actually ha- legitimately happy for. And I said, that's because you know I've had a horrible life and I deserve it. <laughs> and it's true. And I can say that without any kind of joking. I, I mean, are there lives worse than mine and yours? Yes, yes. obviously. I wasn't born into brothels. But, right. you know, it's all relative. And, and it was, you know, between my father being sick from the day I was born and, mm. and being tortured by these kids, it was a really hard life. So yeah. now – I'm getting to enjoy a little bit of, uh, I don't know, justice maybe, if you want to call it that or whatever. Justice is good. So I got it. I'm not as angry. I mean, I am angry, but I'm not as angry as like I come off. Like sometimes I do it just for effect, (laughs) just to make people (laughs) laugh. But I like, I love life. I love like, I love California. Yeah. I love this neat. I I went hiking yesterday because I just got back from Jersey. I was practically on the trail going like, yes, (laughs) I love this place. I mean, it smelled so good and it felt so good in the air and i was like i love california yes so like i do have joy within you know my fibers yeah um, but there it's just all the darkness is just it's just the past you know that's it's, right because there's nothing dark right now nothing yeah. and all that darkness that we have and that anger that we have is just this ball of something that doesn't even exist anymore and i yeah. would love to find a way to just light that on fire and let it go you know yeah. I don't know how. Maybe it just takes time and recognizing it over and over and over. Mm-hmm. Maybe it takes lifetimes. I don't know. Maybe. You know? Maybe it's just, you know, have you ever seen Spirited Away? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like. Love Miyazaki. Yeah. Or like it's Princess Mononoke was actually the one I was thinking of. It's oh, like, okay. you know, how that when the boar comes out and it's got the, sh- the stuff all over yeah, it and yeah. then they kill it. And then all that's left is that iron ball. Yes. That that's, that's what it is. Or iron balls. Yeah. <laughs> There's an iron ball that you're never going to be able to get rid of. I know. It's just there. It's so true. all you can do is figure out how to coexist with it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, it's it's the Hulk. It's all that stuff. It's, mm-hmm. you know, I'm always angry. I know. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, but, but it serves you. You can turn it on and figure yeah. it out. And, and um, 
you know, I, I, I'd live with it too. Yeah. I and think then, a lot of us comedy people do. I think so too. Most of us comedy people. I mean, nobody happy is funny. I, I, I've never met a, I've never met a person from California who's like, yeah, man, like it's totally and it's really cool. They're not, they're not ever funny. Those people, <laughs> not ever. They're just not. Right. <laughs> it just doesn't work that way. <laughs> gotta have, you've gotta like have some, arrows be slung at you in order to learn how to dodge them and make jokes out of it you just have to i agree there was there's someone had said something like there was a this comedian named larry wilde did a a series did this book about great comedians Mm -hmm. and then interviewed like johnny carson george carlin woody allen etc etc and woody and uh, jerry seinfeld and recorded and released these albums they're Mm -hmm. fantastic because it's just it's a lot like this. It's like we're funny people and we might be funny, but we're talking about the process of doing it. Yeah. And he talks with Jerry and he has this theory about how like, you know, you have to have had either some tragedy or challenges in life to be funny. And he's like, what do you think about that? And Jerry's like, no, I yeah. don't feel that at all. I don't experience that. I have a very happy childhood. <laughs> but then you hear Larry David talk to Jerry and is like, your, your comedy is rooted in your hatred mm-hmm. of other people. Absolutely. You know, yeah. it's really interesting to see those, you know, different comic voices coming out of different, you know. Yeah. Seinfeld always claims to be a happy person. And then he goes on Howard in, I think, 2013 interview. Yeah. One of the best interviews ever of all time anywhere. Yeah. Um, and Howard was trying to tell him the same thing, that, you you know, there's anger there. And he's like, no, no, not really. But but as he's speaking, you could almost hear it. And if you watch <laughs> Comedians in Cars, yeah. you can see his disdain for humanity <laughs> and just for right. behavior and his arrogance and all you could just right. I mean he's he's great he's funny he's awesome I love how he has economy of words he doesn't waste words and he's yep. just so precise but you can clearly see under just because he doesn't curse doesn't mean he's not angry right like I hope he understands that right Jerry if you're listening if you're I listening hope you Jerry understand that. that's right <laughs> you're you are as angry as we are <laughs> you're a Jew from Long Island of course you're angry come on <laughs> so so let take take me through the process of of when you um how how you made this transition from going from working in your your office job uh or what what were you doing I was a writer I always wanted to be a writer Uh-huh um I wrote a poem in like second grade that got published in our our town not our state paper the Star Ledger uh-huh. and my teachers were like you got to be a writer you got to be a writer you're a writer you're a writer you're a writer so I was like all right I guess I'm a writer I don't know <laughs> um and then once I got to college I would like write papers I always got A's they were like you're a writer I'm like I'm a writer okay I'm gonna go into publishing and be a writer and editor which is what I thought because I hated people then and I wanted to be alone all the time uh-huh so I became a writer. I was mm-hmm. working for a music magazine. I wrote for a music magazine and uh, automotive magazines, publishing, and all this stuff. And then, were you working freelance, or were you a staff writer? I was a, I was a I was a managing editor at a small publishing company in Nutley, New Jersey, for four years. That okay. was like my first job, and I loved it for a while. And then, like everything, I get bored. I have like a two year rule: two mm-hmm. years and I'm done. Boyfriends, houses, locations, e- jobs, everything. <laughs> two years and I'm out. Uh, it's just my rule. So after two years, I was like, eh, I'm doing the same interviews with the same artists over and over again. And it just was like the same questions. And I just got bored with it. So I quit and I was unemployed forever and whatever. I wound up working it, as a writer, a copywriter, editor, proofreader, all that for years, all through my 30s um, into my late 30s. And then I just was like, I can't sit in this cubicle anymore. I was mm. 
dying in a gray cubicle amongst a sea of gray cubicles at a pharmaceutical place writing, oh, dear Mr. Vander Heuvel, or however I say your name, um, <laughs> your diabetes medication is no longer going to be covered under your plan. It was that kind of thing that I was yeah. writing. And I couldn't take it anymore. And meanwhile, I would go into my friend John's office. We would make fun of everybody. I would imitate everybody in the department. There were like 3,000 people at this job and I would do all of them. And then little by little, everybody kept coming in. They're like, Rachel's doing Carol. Rachel's doing Carol. You know, Rachel's doing Glenn. Come in. And it would be like that. And so I was like, what am I doing here? I got to get out of this. And I, uh-huh. I, I started doing those little voiceover things on uh, Craigslist. Uh-huh. But then I started making the demo because t- I finally had some money. That's what it was. It was money. I, I was making so much money at my corporate job that I was able to have a good apartment, shop at Whole Foods, yeah. TJ Maxx, and save money and have enough money to make a demo. So once that was in motion, that's when it really all started to happen. So, so man, it's, it's, it's fascinating how much – our paths overlap mm-hmm. in that way too. That's really, really interesting just to hear all that stuff. Yeah. When you were doing the, the, like the Craigslist ads and then starting to work towards making a demo, like what kind of stuff were you doing in impressions and characters? Were you doing ad copy or were you doing kind of all of it and just trying to figure stuff out or what was your process? There? I was doing whatever I could, when I typed in voiceover to Craigslist, Los Angeles and yeah. I mean, uh, New York and New Jersey, whatever there was, I would sit with at my little mic my mic plugged into my laptop and auditioned for it. I didn't care what it was. Yeah. At the stu- Edge Studio, I was first making an animation demo and then a commercial demo. Okay. And then I didn't know. I, those are still my demos today, by the way. I, are they really? Yeah, I need new ones, obviously. <laughs> I had no experience then. So, so yeah, we did those two. And then I knew that those weren't going to get me anywhere because you send those out unsolicited. Nobody cares. Right. But I happened to have a friend who worked at Four Kids in New York, and they needed a voice match for a character on a cartoon called Viva Pinata. Oh, yeah. You know that? I know the video game, and I know that they turned that into a cartoon. Yeah. So the girl who was voicing Beverly Badge Sickle moved to L.A. and couldn't finish, so they they needed somebody. So I was able to match it, and that was really my real first voiceover job. It paid $900 for three hours, and I was like, oh, my God, I need to do this. This is what I need to do. I made that in a week, sitting rotting for 40 hours at a cubicle. Yeah. So I did it. That was It was great. And then um, then the Howard Stern contest came along, and, and that, was just, that was just it. I entered that. I won that. And then Abrams in New York called me the next day. They're like, we want to meet you. Um, And I did. And Billy Ciro, who I can't thank enough, my agent in New York, um, just made all kinds of connections for me, um, including out here in L.A. And and one thing just led to another. And that was it. That's amazing. Are you still with those guys in New York? Yeah. That's fantastic. I'm still with Abrams. I'll always be with them. yeah, it was just it was just crazy. Somebody out here heard me uh, on a Howard Stern show and needed uh, also needed a voice match for a cartoon he was doing. I was able to match it, so I came out to California for the first time. And my first LA job was I was in the studio at Titmouse with Patrick Warburton. We were there <laughs> doing it together, which you know never happens. Right, it's always just a solo. And I was like, this, this is my friend Billy West was there, oh and my I was God. I was like, I'm moving here. I have to move here, and. 
four five months later, I was here, well, and that was just it. Was that the first time you had met Billy, or was Billy aware of you from the show and stuff? Or? I don't know if he was yet. We uh-huh. sort of just like I was supposed to come early and watch him in the booth, but I was late because it was L.A. and I didn't know where I was going and all this stuff. So I just got there when he was done. We shook hands, said hello, and that was it. Um, but then I met him much later on a podcast and stuff. So okay. now we know each other. Very cool. But it was, I was like, oh my god, it's Billy West from the Howard Search. I mean, it was just an, an insane experience. And then that cartoon went to Comic-Con that year. So I came back in July. We were on a panel at Comic-Con that year. <laughs> it was the craziest thing ever. And that's when I was like, all right, um, I'm moving back. And by August, yeah. I lived here. Yeah. So it just um, never in my wildest imagination. I didn't, I didn't dream of this. Mm-hmm. I didn't have dreams of this. Some people are like, you're living your dream. No, I, this was not – this This was an accident. Like I – my dream was to become – a college professor in New York and like be part of the literati and go to the Met to watch opera. Like that's what I thought would happen to me. I never, never knew that this was going to happen. So uh, it's, it's pretty amazing every day. You know, I am really grateful. I do. I do my thanks to the gods every day that this is going on because it's, it's just incredible. And again, I deserve it because my life sucks. That's right. It did. That's right. You, you banked a whole lot of, I believe in balance and you just built onto that iron ball mm-hmm. until the iron ball cracked open and said, here, <laughs> this is what we've been working on inside. Yeah. Is here's some goodness. That's Go play with cool people. Have some sunlight. Yeah. And keep the shell, but it's open now. Yeah. And it's yeah. a shell. It is. No, it is. And it's just so awesome to like be with people who know and who do what I do and yeah. who love movies the way I do. Cause I've always been like a crazy movie fan. And like once I came here, so like when I was at William Morris, like people would talk about movies in the lobby every day. And I'm like, Oh my God, I can talk about movies all day with these people. You know, they go to them. They like them. Not that my friends at home didn't, but I was always like more, 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 you know? Yeah. So it's just sort of being with like-minded freaks who can do impressions and voices and stuff and just, um, it's, it's just astounding how quickly it's, it's, my life was like, the first half of my life was, was something else. And uh-huh. now it's this whole new life and a whole new language talking about the industry and the voiceover yeah. and like specs and looping and ADR and all this new language that I learned in the last four years. And it's just, I don't know. It's like from the, I can step outside and look and it's really quite remarkable. It mm. really is. That's really cool. And I'm sitting here with you on a podcast. Here we are sitting here talking about stuff. On Cahuenga. On Cahuenga. I know. And I know right? that word and I know my way around LA and I just, I, I don't know. I love it. We're, we're like 200 yards from Universal Studios. I know. And Vivid Studios. That's right. Right down the street. Right. And Warner Brothers right over there. And Mulholland Drive. And Mulholland Drive snakes up behind where we are. It's magical. It is. It hasn't lost the magic for me yet. Yes, I hate the traffic, but... Do you, do, I didn't love the traffic in Detroit. I didn't love it in New Jersey, although yeah. I got to tell you, it's minimal compared to what it is Boy. here. But I don't get to ride my bike every day of the year in New Jersey or go to the beach every day or hike. I hike like crazy and I, it's like my sanctuary. Yeah. Um, I just – I don't know. I love it here. It's the best. Yeah. So it's really – you know, it's ups and downs, but it's – I have to keep – just keep my eye on like look where you are. Yeah. You're in paradise. Sometimes sometimes that's all there is mm-hmm. to grab onto and it's more than enough. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think about I think about waking up and you know, and I love Grand Rapids. I love my Grand Rapids people. I love my family and friends back there. Mm-hmm. But I think about waking up in the middle of February or even even in the middle of August, buried in, in allergies and yeah. you know and humidity. Yeah, and and 
praying that in the Grand Rapids press this week, maybe there will be an audition for a play. Oh, my goodness. You know? Is that what was going on? Yeah. See, you had the dream. Like, you you knew you wanted to act and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I knew I, it's, it's, I, am, I am literally living what I did in college. What do you mean? And um, when I was in college, I went to a liberal arts school, mm-hmm. Calvin College, uh, Mad Pro- Calvin Knights, blah, 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 yeah. and I was there for four years. And I was theater program initially, mm-hmm. and um, but I wasn't satisfied in it. And I, I wanted to do movies and TV and, no. and and video games, even though video games at that point were Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was like rings. And yeah. That's really the only voice. <laughs> that's the that only one that I know. I played <laughs> right. that one. It was fun. Yeah, it was fun. And uh, and there's a new game right now called Leo's Leo's Treasure or Leo's Journey. That's basically Sonic but slowed down. <laughs> it's like Sonic lost his legs and became a fluffy pom pom. <laughs> but it's really fun and the graphics are beautiful. Oh anyway. my god. Um, but. Uh, I stopped, I stopped doing the plays. The last play I did was Streetcar Named Desire and I played Mitch in that. Uh-huh. And then, and then we did, um, we had something in the theater program called Smorg, which was the second Saturday of the run. We would throw a banquet and parody the show. Oh, fun. So I wrote the parody with a couple people oh. and would do impressions of the people in the show. Right. And, um, and it was it was everything. That was what really turned my head. Comedy. Sketch comedy. Yeah. In particular sketch. Because I knew about improv and I knew about Saturday Night Live and I knew about SCTV, but I didn't know where I wanted to put my energy. And as an impressionist, as a young impressionist, in particular doing cartoon characters and then as I got older being able to do adults, um, I, I just I, – I, I, it was a place I could put that, that energy. Yeah. And then improv came to one of – someone who was an undergrad with us had – been elsewhere and learned a bunch of Viola Spolin improv games. So we sat down there outside the theater on a Monday night from 10 to midnight and improvised. How old are you? 19, 20, 21. Oh, so nice and young. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Debbie was older, but it was like she had had some experience. And and then then everything just – my second two years of college – um, I hosted the air band competition. I was the MC, so I was writing my own stuff. Yeah. And then I got a, I was DJing in the radio station and kind of thumbing my nose at whatever they said you could play and could not play and right. being all like, you know, young covenant rebel. Um, <laughs> but, but did kind of all of it, but didn't really do any theater, but would jump at an opportunity to perform. Yeah. And ultimately, it's kind of what I'm doing now is like – You really are living the dream. You're in movies. I, I mean, know. It's, it's unbelievable. It's crazy. You're, you're that guy or you're going to be that guy that like people see walk into a coffee shop. They're like, hey, that's the guy and I know that guy from – like you're that guy. Can I tell you it's starting to happen? Yeah. And it's so weird. Isn't it weird? It's weird. Just I, 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 I've, I'm an extrovert. I don't crave anonymity. Yeah. But like even this morning, I went into a place to get a cup of coffee and some soup for my wife who's recovering, and uh, and I just I just felt this weird <laughs> sort of like thing, and it's like I'm, you know, what I did in Nightcrawler is forty five seconds long, yeah, but, but it's still, still you're there. It's that's forty five seconds on camera is a long is a pretty long time in a major yeah. movie like that. It yeah. really is. You're that guy. Every time I go to um, Pete's in Studio City because yeah. I teach at Voice Tracks West, yeah. every time I'm there, I see. 
I see one of those guys like I'm like, hey, that's that guy. For, I, I, and I'm like, I know I've seen him in, in 25 movies at right. least. Can't His name escapes me right now. Um, but that's that's you. And that's amazing. It's weird. It's, it's weird, weird to come here and not. And there was because I was the on camera guy in Denny's mm-hmm. right before I moved out here. And the Denny's spots ran like gangbusters. Oh, out here. yeah, yeah. That was how I got to see SD was Bo. Oh, Bo sent me an email while I was in Chicago. She's like, hey. Burt Reynolds was the voice of of uh, of Denny's, and now it's you. Who are you? What's your story? Are you oh, coming out here? How you funny. doing? What's going on? And um, wow. and then we stayed in touch. And I was already very happy. I was with Innovative in Chicago, and I had was building a relationship with with Innovative out here. But um, after meeting with them when we moved out here, I, I just I felt were you like, planning on moving here anyway, or you came yeah, because Bo we, called we, you? We were planning on moving to Los Angeles without a doubt. And we wanted to do it before Ilsa got too dug into her community. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and then we had one of the worst winters on record. <laughs> it um, was the worst winter I uh, ever seen. Oh my God. You, well, you were still, you were still in Jersey in 2011 when Snowmageddon hit, weren't you? Uh, no, I moved here in August 2011. I missed it all. So it was that, it was that it winter. Was that year. It was yeah. that, it was February of 2011. Yes. So, so we, moved here oh february yeah, yeah. Yes, i was there it was chest deep snow in the streets of chicago i had a session downtown for um for advanced auto parts i think and i had to get to the train but the train wasn't running all the way down to where we were and you just couldn't drive you just there was nothing Crazy. cars were stuck on lakeshore drive oh my god like they were driving home from their commute and they spent the night and you were like, no more of this. Yeah. I was kind of no more of this before. And I'd grown up and I was a paper boy. I remember the winter of 1978. Yeah, but who you know? wants to stay in it? Who wants to stay Cause in it? Just because you were born into it. Every day <laughs> I would get up, scrape ice off my car and go, why do I live here? Why do I keep doing this to myself? <laughs> I'm, a, I'm an adult. I have a choice of where I can be. I know. And it was still – it still took me from – even from my divorce to – when we finally moved a very long time to get out here. Yeah. And I, I knew, I knew I wanted to come out here with representation mm-hmm. and with some work behind me. You know what I mean? That, that was sort of the, the promise I'd made to myself. And I do think that that helps. And I, and it was, Absolutely. you know, and it's attainable. Both of us were able to make a transition to this town yeah. already with at least, you know, I didn't have theatrical representation, but I did have voice and I was able to hit the ground running day well, one. Well, I think that's a huge, I wasn't going to move here unless one, I met with SBV, um, Abrams, obviously, because yeah. I was with them in New York and William Morris. And that just happens to be the one that I clicked with. But I was like, I'm not going to move out here unless I have an agent. So I came out here in July and, and met William Morris and they already started sending me auditions back in New Jersey before I had, I moved out here another month. So I was like, all right, you know, but I mean, it was that first year it was like, I didn't book anything like heart, like maybe one thing that year. And I was like, Oh my God, what, what is this life? What, what is this life of just going there every day, driving across town, sitting and waiting in a lobby for hours, reading copy and never ever hearing anything like yeah. that, that, that at 40 years old, completely new to me and absolutely terrified, like yes. the most terrifying thing in the world. Now it's just like, now it's part of my life. It's, it's part, part of my of fabric, you That's know? That's right. And it's, and it's, I've made my peace with it because there was a long time when I was, I would cry myself to sleep here every night, just go, what did I do? How can I live like this? I can't go on like this. And now it's sort of just like, um, I understood I had to get a side job. And so I started teaching the voiceover and I understood that I had to like become involved in other things because you can't just sit and audition every day and never hear back and 
live like that. You've got to do other things. So yeah. thank God, like I was able to somehow turn that into something, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's still, it's still really exciting. But I wanted to ask you about, um, a theatrical agent because I want to get one of those. Yes. Um, because I feel like being on America's Got Talent and the Howard Stern show and some other things that I've done, like maybe somebody might be interested, but can you just call, you just call up and be like, Hey, I'd like to, a meeting with you? Will they even entertain you can. that? You absolutely can. What did you do? Um, I went through actors that I tried first cold submissions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was already with Innovative. CESD was like, we have you for voice and commercial. We don't really have an adult on camera. Yeah. And the vibe I got was, um, it's all right. <laughs> You're good. Yeah. Just, you know, and, and, and it's one of those things too, where it's like, this is the relationship I'm trying to protect and mm-hmm. want to protect yeah. and want to nurture and build. And as much as I want to add on to this level of the relationship, I, I was also like, I don't want to, I don't want to damage this relationship by pressing on what you guys are doing for me is great. Yeah. I love what you're doing for me. Cause you think you could get me an opportunity with these guys. Right, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's kind of like, I'm going to, I'm going to be very content with where I am and continue to, to build and then find on my own. Mm-hmm. So, uh, actors access has this thing and it's called talent link. Mm-hmm. And for $35, <laughs> they send out an email to every manager and every talent agent in town. Mm-hmm. And they say, these are the actors who are currently seeking representation. Oh. Take a look. And it's your headshot. It's your bio. It's your – and all that stuff. Huh. I don't know how – uh, when I did that, out of that, I had two meetings with two agents. Mm-hmm. I ended up signing with one, and I was with her for about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, she got me on Parks and Recreation. Oh, nice. Um, she got me in Behind the Candelabra. Mm. Um, and from Behind the Candelabra, my managers uh, found me, and they were like, we saw you in Behind the Candelabra. Wow. What's your story? Are you looking for management? So I I met with those guys and they got me Danny Collins and Nightcrawler in the first month I was with them. See, that's what you, you want it to come to you. That's yeah. the best way. It really is. Yeah. And then uh, and then um we we evaluated things and and uh another agency pr- made a pitch and I met with them and and ended up switching to to them theatrically and they're uh, actually someone who like Bo worked with back in the day. So it was really kind of cool to come back around and yeah. I absolutely adore them. And they got me Batman. They got me Amazing. Richie Rich. So and, you had um, no real, you had no like theatrical reel. Right. You just sent that actor's done, access link. Thing? Uh, I, I had a reel, but, okay. but the stuff that I had on there was like either comedy stuff that I had done back in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Um, my impressions, because it was like, Center Night Live comes calling or the, you know, it's like yeah. a general open call for funny people who do impressions. <laughs> so then I put that out, which right. is great. But my bread and butter is going to be like desk cop. I'm a character actor. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? As yeah. long as, as long as I'm, you know, what I, what I discovered about myself is like when I, when I'm below 200 pounds, mm-hmm. I'm not a character actor. Right. I, I can, I can hold like. Like best friend leading man, yeah. like bigger stuff. Yeah, yeah. But when I get let myself get to yep. this weight, then I'm a little bit more like Officer Jerry. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> a big fat cop. Right, but yeah, yeah. And so, so it's that's that's my constant struggle with that. But yeah. at any rate, that's what it is. But but Talent Link ultimately was the thing that that hmm. got me introducing introduced to people, and they do it monthly. 
Yeah. And it's, it's, it, I did, you know, I went to casting director workshops. I went to actor, you know, agent nights and stuff like that. But yeah. ultimately it was like, looking at it through their eyes, mm-hmm. I'm a developmental talent. I'm someone who's done a lot of commercial work and has a relationship, a strong quality relationship with the commercial agency. Right. I've got voiceover representation. So I'm coming in exclusively theatrically, which might not be as appealing as someone's coming in across the board for on camera. Right. So, you know, like what can I bring to it? I really have, I got to have strong theatrical credit. You bring social media following. You bring national exposure from both Howard Stern as well as America's Got Talent. Mm-hmm. So you've, you know, it's one of those things like we're all walking through the woods with different paths, yeah. but we all got different experiences. So right. like I think that's that's the kind of thing that, that could be helpful. You know what I mean? Probably should have. Probably should have struck while the America's Got Talent iron was hot. <laughs> Maybe, but but then again, like you know, you've built other stuff from that. You've got stuff that you did with the impression guys that you did with Jim and those. Yeah, guys. that's you know true. What I mean? yeah, so like that's TV. Yeah, you can cobble together a reel. It doesn't. You don't need a ton. I'm still thinking like that Bloomfield, New Jersey person is the problem. As I, I, you know, people are like you're Rachel Butera. I'm like, yeah, so when I don't, you know, I don't, I have that problem with like sort of embracing what I've got going on and believing that I. I can do more, you know what I mean? Yeah. So like, I've just been like satisfied with the voiceover thing, but I mean, you know, this like funniness has to be, it's gotta be spread, you know? Yes. It like has to. So it just can't be contained with the voiceover. I don't think it, le- it needs to be something else. I don't know what, um, but well, I just keep having that feeling like I gotta, I should be doing more with it. You uh, even beyond stand up. Absolutely. You know, I, I think I do believe, and you mentioned it earlier about like the, having to have a side job is it's, and it's not just financial. It is, um, d- just being, being diverse in where you perform and what you do. Mm-hmm. And, and that has given me the greatest strength and endurance and confidence, especially days where like I've got like, maybe like, and I, I'm spoiled. You know, in terms of, in terms of auditions that come in. Yeah. So, so on a day where I, where it's a lighter day and I feel guilty for feeling, <laughs> you feeling should, like, you bastard. I know, but it's like, I'm a, I'm a white guy <laughs> yeah. and, you know, gradually olding, but I've, but I'm, you know, I've got experience in different things and that helps open up opportunities. Yeah, for sure. So, so just creating, just throwing more fishing rods out there. Yep. You know, I find that, that, you know, the on camera side of things is, is valuable. And it's the beautiful thing about what we do as character actors and especially as versatile character mm-hmm. actors is that, we're very marketable. Yeah. And, you know, this whole thing about like, I, I, I can work at 220. Mm-hmm. I can work at, I don't have to look like Brad Pitt because there is a Brad Pitt. Right. So I can, I can, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm not going to be the leading lady and I'm okay with that. I'm very happy being like, whatever, the funny, mm. whatever it is, next door neighbor. I don't care what. Pays the same. Yeah, pays the same. Pays the same. I know. I mean, it's just like just the fact to be able to say I did something like that. Like, I mean, last week in New York, I worked on a new animated movie that I'm not really allowed to talk about. Oh my god! But with Jeffrey Tambor, Sam Rockwell, and Steve Coogan and David Tell, and I was sitting there at the table with them. (laughs) I was, you know, so it's just absolutely insane. And I'm, I don't know. I'm just excited by like any small thing, you know. At this point, it's just. it's just the greatest. It's the greatest. It really is. It's the greatest. When you um when you teach, like what's what's your not necessarily your teaching approach, but 
when you started to figure out getting comfortable behind a microphone, what was your process for making that transition? Like, because it is a different thing of talking into a microphone versus doing bits in a cubicle. Oh, totally. So, so what, what was your process for figuring those things out? I think I'm still figuring it out, honestly, because mm. there are still times where I'm at my computer and I'm reading the copy and I love what I'm doing. And then I walk into my booth and I stand in front of the mic and it doesn't come out the same way. There's something happening from yeah. my computer seat to my, to being in front of a mic where I still have that thing that like I'm, I'm now acting. I'm now performing. I now yeah. have to turn it on and do this rather than that natural thing we just do in the cubicle, in somebody's office, entertaining your friends in the lunchroom and all that stuff. So for me, I don't think it's quite gotten to that seamless part yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm really, I, I mean, I've taken the workshops, you know, I've done all the workshops and stuff. Yeah. I don't know that I learned that much, maybe a few tidbits here and there. Um, honestly, it's just been getting in there every day, doing it over and over again, figuring out, you know, how, how much air to give it, how, how to breathe, like this, just kind of winging it basically. Um, because, because, you know, I can drop all that money on those workshops, but ultimately it's just, you just, I, I feel you just don't learn that much Mm. once you already sort of know what we know. Do you take, you don't take workshops, you're beyond workshops at this point. Uh, it depends on the workshop. I mean, you take it I mean, to meet the people. That's what it's yeah, for. Yes. A lot, a lot of, the, a lot of the casting director workshops in particular. Yeah. And, and then like, like Hope Levy has, you know, voice actor network stuff. And I've done, hers, yeah. I've done several of those. But again, you're right. Those are much more about like, I want to get in and hear how, hear how Dave Wright does it at Disney, what yeah. he likes in his auditions, wants. that kind of stuff to get more yeah. really specific. But, but for like, hardcore training and stuff Technique. like that. Yeah. Like I've, I've, I went to Nancy Wolfson for a while. Oh, you did go I love Nancy. Yeah. She's, she's tough as nails, yeah. but like, but I, but she was the, she was like, uh, Hmm. I had, I had a lot of training outside, but my biggest, because I'm an ear person mm-hmm. and learned that way, that was so much my training because I'm a mimic where I was like, you know, Tonight at Applebee's. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's just you recognize the cadence. Right. So it was one of the things that that Nancy was really good for for me was it was like voiceover therapy because I encountered the exact same thing you were talking about, about being in New York and like nailing this and nailing that and then moving to this market after mm-hmm. all this energy and all of a sudden it's just a desert. Yeah. And I, I felt the same way. And And working with Nancy was helpful not because I was just working but because she was like – that's normal and that's part of making a transition to a new market mm-hmm. and you have to find into yourself and reconnect. Just connect to your core voice. Yeah. Connect to those things. Those are the things that are going to save you. Right. It's not that you're – it's not that you just happen to be good in New York and now you suck. Yeah. <laughs> it's your your entire life has radically changed and you have to find your sense of self in Oh, it. God. Yeah. I mean moving is – they put it up there with what the death, like the death of some. It's like one of the top three biggest stresses in your life. Yeah, moving now three thousand miles from everyone you know and love. I didn't come out here with a husband or anything. I came alone. Yeah, didn't really know anyone. Um, and just had to like find my way. Forget about it. It it made my hair turn white. I'm all white underneath this brown. I'm serious. <laughs> and like I had high blood pressure. I mean, on and on it can, it can go. Um, yeah. it, it was the biggest stress of my entire. You know, probably even worse than my father died. 
dying because when he died, it was probably a relief at that point because he'd huh. been sick for so long. Yeah. But moving so far and just being away from everybody and doing and, – and I wasn't doing entertainment really there. So it was a brand new career and a brand new life yeah. 3,000 miles away. Um, I can't believe I didn't start doing heroin. I mean, I just, you know, I couldn't afford it. That's why <laughs> right. I blew through 20 grand that I saved in one year. And then it was like, you know, nothing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, it probably, it would have done well to meet with Nancy, but I didn't, I just didn't have the money to, to meet with anybody at that yeah, time. So I agree. once I started booking some things here and there, I was like, okay, now I can take a work just, just like it was back in the, the corporate job. Once I have money to make a demo, right. then this will happen. As soon as I started booking some stuff here, I'm like, okay, now I have money to take some workshops and get to know some people so it just it's this kind of it's a cycle in that way yeah the, the thing that saved me in particular <laughs> when i wasn't when i wasn't booking anything and and i i got this marvelous job working at, at disneyland oh that's right and and that was more than a survival job yeah. for me it was uh, it was a meeting a community of improvisers yep. Who are brilliantly funny and being part of that mm-hmm. and then making the money. Yeah. But then, but kind of buying into the Disney paradigm. And it's not, it's not just, you know, sunshine and, and it's because, you know, it's like you put on that face, but it's still like these are real challenges and you'll be working on, working on the street and, and then you'll meet someone who's from Make a Wish or yeah. you meet someone like my first day on the job. Some guests came in who just came from a funeral and the person who had just passed, this was their favorite place. Oh, God. And they were here paying honor to that person. And what did you have to do? Stay in character. And be and And <laughs> support. No, I didn't feel the need to cheer them up. I felt the need to empathize. Huh. And be like, yeah. Well, you came to the right place. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I'm, you know, and it's, it's, and it's just a stream. It's a stream of people and sometimes you get people who don't – who are at the end of their day and they're end of the rope and then you have people who are from another country who don't speak English. Oh so you're – my job I felt was to be more visual than verbal and um, – What was your character? I play uh, Calvin the Cop on Buena Vista Street and it is it's, – it's like a 1920s police officer. And I'm, people would just come up to you and talk, and just say things. Our job, our, it's cool because the job is the, the way we do it is uh, it's called catch and release. So uh, rather than because it can be stressful for people to have to come over to you and interact. Some people gravitate towards it, but other people don't. So uh, what I appreciate about uh, about that is that I get to control the engagement. Mm. Hi, how you doing? Good to see. Basically, a, a basic example of this is, hey, how are you? It's good to see you. Oh my God, I'm so happy you come. Listen, you're going to have a great time. Ha- have fun. See you later. <laughs> and in that way, I control the entire, All right. the entire thing. I give you some energy that supports what we're doing and I let you go. <laughs> and you don't have to do, okay, thank you. We're going to go ride rides now. Yeah. You don't have to have that dismount. Right. So that's part of the training. And huh. it, oh man, I mean, talk about helping you in an audition. Really? Oh yeah. Huh. Walk in, be positive. I'm so happy to be here. This was great. Get done with stuff yeah. and be like, you know, cause there's always that awkward moment of like finishing my contract and there's another guy waiting to come in. So if you control that and be like, this was awesome. Thank you so much, you guys. Yeah. Then you can control the dismount and it makes it easier for them. And they're like, well, that was nice to work with that person. Right. Totally. I don't do – I mean I was doing like some on-camera commercial stuff for a while. I absolutely hated it. But um, it was amazing. Like there was always one person in the bunch that talked too – talking too much, the casting person. You know what I mean? Like yeah. just was – 
you could just feel that like they were making it difficult for everybody. And yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's funny how there's always one of those people, you know, yeah. they just, it's probably a nervous thing of just talking too much, but I always feel so bad for them. And I'm like, just shut up, get in and get out. Right. You know, I mean, we're in the business of meeting strangers all day long, strangers who could change your life. That's the most, like, to me, that's one of the most amazing things is, is how it really is all relationships out here more yeah. than anything. Yeah. Like I, I can't, tell you how many people I've met on Facebook that have somehow like gotten me jobs just because they like the things I write on Facebook and then we become friends and then I get a job from them or people you meet, you know, at this thing and then they talk to this person for you. Like that's really the name of the game out here. And if you can't play that, you know, if you're, if you're bad at it or you don't go out and you don't meet people, it's going to be really tough. Like I'm a very sociable person as you are too. Like we meet people well and we talk well and, 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 you know, when we meet them and stuff, um, that's really like more than talent out here. I feel like that's really what it is, you know? So if you're, if you're going to be, if you're an introverted person, I mean, I'm an introvert, but Mm -hmm. if you're an introvert who also can't really meet people, I think it's good. You're going to have a lot tougher of a time out here Yeah, because you got to be able to talk to people. You got to be able to do that. Because people actually want to talk to you here. See, I came out here thinking Hmm. nobody would want to talk to me like, oh, nope, that door's closed. Nope. We don't want to meet you. And I found the opposite to be true. People want to read your scripts. They want to see your content. They want to meet with you. They want to have coffee with you. I was shocked by that. Hmm. Like, um, I can't think of any examples, but just, just there were some people who were like semi-famous or semi-well-known and stuff that I was like, hey, can I take you out for coffee? And they're like, sure. Love I you. was absolutely shocked by that. Yeah. Like, I, f- I feel confident that, you know, if I wrote a script right now or if I had something like – I could get in to show it at a couple of different places. Like, whereas mm. living in New Jersey, I would be like, how could I ever do no that? that ever. They'll, they Ugh. don't care about me. They, they don't know yeah. me. They would shut the door in my face. It's just not true. You just have to have like a, you just have to be have the willingness to The yeah. willingness to put yourself out there because people are looking for the next thing to put up. I was, so, I'm, I still am shocked by, by how yeah. I want to say easy it is to sort of get your stuff seen. It's not as difficult as, as somebody might think. You know? I think that's, that's one of the things that is that truth I'm having a hard time accepting. I really am. I don't know. I don't have a good answer for that question. Hmm. Not yet. I think it's because I know it to be true intellectually, but I I, I do feel like it's maybe it's residual to what we were talking about earlier. Probably. It's that sense of self-worth. Well, I mean, I still feel that too. I'm like, every once in a while, I'll be like, they're not going to want to meet me. Nobody will want to talk to me. But I know that's not true because I just said it and I've experienced it before. It's just that fear of, yeah. of rejection. It's just that fear of like feeling like I'm a nobody again right. um, and that they might not want to talk to me or whatever. But it's it's just a made up fear. It's not really the truth yes. because people are constantly looking for content out here. Um they just want to keep making money and produce. If they think they can make money off of you, they're going to do whatever. You know what I mean? That's all it is. It's money. So if you can prove to somebody that they can make money off of you, you can do anything you want out here. You got to be a good talker, good playing the game. I'm not that good at it. <laughs> I hear you. We'll get better at it one day at a time. I guess so. I, mean, I, I think the belie- as long as you like believe at first that it's possible, then it can go from there. That's you right. Think, you know, just have to like put it inside you that like – I'm, I'm, I'm worth it, whatever, all that stupid stuff. Really, seriously, like, I have a value out here. I have a worth out here. People know me out here. Um, and, and to just like sort of believe that about yourself without feeling like a douche about it is, yeah. is how to do it. Yeah. I think. What do you say to, uh, 
What do you say to someone who's out there somewhere uh, east of somewhere us? <laughs> who's a mimic? Who does? Who has the ability to do the kind of stuff that we do, and is living in a place that, um, you know, I'll just randomly select Louisville, Kentucky, but is in Louisville, Kentucky, and is you know cracking up their office, <laughs> and and doesn't. I don't know if I know for myself that I, I it it all seemed to be such a change. To get rid of, I'm speaking now. I'm talking about my divorce, but that that idea of, um, to to say I'm done with these curtains because I'm going to lose these curtains. Yeah. Um. You know, am I prepared for that level of change? Yeah. In exchange for new freedom. Yeah. Um. But I think that's applicable to anybody who's in a situation who m- makes a phone call mm-hmm. and is, you know, you know. Uh, I'm part of the reason why I'm fascinated by you, not only because we share similar overlapping skill sets, but that one day you got up, you heard something on the radio, you made a phone call and you changed your life. You know, what do you, what do you say as encouragement or as discouragement or how do you prepare for, or what's, what was your, not necessarily, what's your advice, Rachel, but. (laughs) But, um, well, what, what works, what worked for you? Um, I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't know it would change my life. I didn't, Uh. I I honestly thought Howard Stern didn't think women were funny because in years past he did say that. Yeah. And I didn't think he would pick my impressions. And so I wasn't going to submit them. At first I was all excited. I'm like, this is the moment I've been waiting for. I've always wanted to be on the show. I'm going to do it. Then it was like the weekend before it was due and I was feeling really down. I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to be funny. I don't know. He's never going to pick me. He doesn't like girls. I'm not going to do it. My ex-boyfriend, thank God, was like, you're doing it. Sit down and do it. So I cranked out six things. I mailed them the MP3s and, you know, I really wasn't sure. I, I wasn't. And uh, a week later, he's saying my name on the air. He's playing all my impressions. I'm shaking and crying in the car. I can't I can't believe what's happening. So I didn't I I just didn't have that kind of faith, you know, uh. but in this case, only because I'm a woman, you know, mm. you know what I mean? Yeah, it's not I knew I, I know my impressions are good. I know I can do all these things. But in that particular case, it was like, I'm a girl. They're never going to pick me. So that was a different feeling than anything I've really had before. Um, and uh, once the opportunities arose, like once I won that contest, then Abrams called, then I sort of felt like, okay, something can change. Something can change here. Yeah. And so I started doing audiobooks. And so for that whole year at my corporate job, I'd be like, can I leave early to do an audiobook? And my boss was, he would let me go. Awesome. And he was letting me run to auditions in New York and he was letting me. So it was a wow. slow transition of like taking time off the corporate job, sacrificing, making the money there little by little until yeah. the full transition a year later was complete. Um, and then, and at that point it was just all like a dream, you know, becomes a blur at that point. So again, it wasn't like I was like, I'm changing my life right now. You know, I'm like, I'm going to do it. I'm kicking this one horse town. Uh It just, the events just unfolded in this sort of way where I started to believe like, maybe I don't have to do this job anymore. Maybe I can actually get out of it. Cause all I really wanted in life was to not work a nine to five job in an office. Yeah. And now I haven't done that in four and a half years. So like, I, that's, 
there's a price to pay for that as well. Yeah. You're poor, but yep. I'm free. I can hike. I can yeah. ride my bike. I can do this in the middle of the day, you know? So it's like, I, I think if somebody has the dream, I, I mean, it, it's, it's so trite, but just do it because life is so damn short. Yeah. It's going to be over in the blink of an eye. And yeah. if you're sitting there miserable and you have some way to get out of it, just don't be afraid to get out of it. You yeah. will never, ever regret it. All the hardship I've had the last four years, not paying my rent, all this crying, a loneliness, I, I will never regret making that change. Yeah. And I don't think anyone ever really would, you know, um, yeah. if they if they are that upset and miserable in their job and they have this talent and they want to do it, just find a way to do it because you're going to die soon. <laughs> No, I mean, that's really the truth. Yeah. Listen, I didn't have kids or a husband or a house. I had absolutely nothing keeping me there. Nothing. Yeah. I was free. People don't have that situation. They got families. Um, yeah. I can't give those people advice because I don't know what that's like. Hmm. So, But if you're a free person, if you're a single person with no ties, no commitment, and you can change your life in, in a totally different way – You'll never ever regret it. You'll never, you'll never be on your deathbed going, I wish I didn't move to California, right. Los Angeles, where it's sunny every day. Huh? What? I wish I didn't do that. What are you talking about? I, I wish I stayed in Minnesota. Huh? Rotten at my insurance desk every day. It's your move. You never, you know, that's never going to happen. <laughs> so some people say it's easier said than done, but listen, it was not, I mean, I was, a, I was scared of everything. I had terrible anxiety. I had a mother, a whole f negative family telling me, don't go, don't do anything. I had no money. I had, I had nothing going for me and I still did it. And, yeah. and it's the best thing you'll ever do if, yeah. if you can do it. You know, if you've got the somehow can muster the fortitude to do it, I think it's uh, the greatest thing in the world to be yeah. able to do. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. And I, I love your point of, of that, uh, that seismic change is, uh, is one step. Yep. It's one step. It's it's having the talking yourself out of not doing it. Yeah. It's really just fear. I mean, it, mm -hmm. it, it, it every uh, it's sad, actually, how many decisions we make are guided by fear or yeah. decisions we don't make are guided by this made up fear, you know, that we don't have when we're kids. And it comes in at around 10, 11 years old. And, you know, and then it really kicks in sort of in your 30s, that fear. Yeah. That that fear gets really strong in your thirties. In your twenties, you're still like whatever. But some something happens in your thirties, mid thirties, where you become afraid to change. You become afraid to leave things. You're attached to things, and and you just have this fear of all kinds of irrational fears of all kinds of stuff. And it just sucks that as adults that happens to us. Yeah. But it's it's not real. It's, it's not real. It's not a real thing. And sometimes it comes out of nowhere, yeah. prompted by nothing. Yeah. Like you just wake up it's at six o'clock in the morning. That's right. And 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 something in the back of your head is telling you that you're not going to make rent. Yeah. Even though it's the fifth. Right. <laughs> and rent isn't due for another twenty five. I go through that every days. month. Yeah. Every month. Every month. I'm I'm just like this is it. I'm going down. I'm going to be in one of those tents across the street from Hollywood Boulevard. Right. It's not going to happen. And then I, you know, you literally have to stop and like examine what's going on and yeah. be like, no, just lie to yourself, whatever it is. Like, it's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be fine. It works out. It always, I'm still here. I'm 44 years old in two weeks and I'm still doing it. Still and it's here. like, you know, it's still going okay. Um, 
but it it is like buried in your subconscious and your subconscious just wants to screw with you constantly. constantly. Like it just constantly wants to tell you no, negative, you can't, um, you're going to fail. And I, I don't know why the human brain is designed that way. I don't see the purpose of it. I think – I do think it's self-protection. I think it's the thing that keeps us from jumping off of cliffs. Yeah, But maybe. if you've got a wingsuit, <laughs> you know – yeah. It's at least you can remind yourself that that that's there or maybe it keeps us in line. It's the group mind that keeps us in line or whatever, but yeah. it's the it's it is one of the things that I do love about this particular community. Um those of us who are who are, you know, and our brothers and sisters elsewhere across the country mm-hmm. who do the improbable and make a living in Atlanta. Yeah. Or, you know, or New Orleans Miami or Miami, all, all these markets that, that you're, you are a local actor. And like, I mean, I, I'm, I was able to make my transition here because of the work I did in Detroit, yeah. you know, totally. without that and Toledo and like my, you know, the guys I worked for <laughs> letting me go, right? letting me go. And say, and I saying, I got an audition for Billy Crystal this <laughs> afternoon in Detroit. Yes. Can I leave at noon? And they go, okay. Yeah, that's like my guy too. He yeah. let me go. So it's all these little like things, you know? You want everything to happen so fast. We just as humans want that instant gratification. But right. when you stop and look at all the little steps along the way, like him letting you go do that, you know, yeah. if he hadn't let you go do that, one that one little piece, like what would have happened? Who knows, you know? Yeah. So you have to – this is so not me, but you really have to count those blessings, I guess, like – and and just realize and thank people, you know, yeah. like these these small things for happening um, that put you where you are. It's just uh, – it's yeah. it's really – I don't know. I'm becoming too California living out here, <laughs> like <laughs> losing some of my cynicism. But I'm just trying to be more appreciative of things because I find that when I do, um, you know, I'm not vision boarding or anything. I'm just finding yeah. that when I like can sit – back and say like i'm just so happy i can be here in la i'm so happy i get to do this job and that i've I've met these awesome people and all these new people that are in my life that weren't there four years ago you know what i mean you scott eric yeah chris cox everybody amelia like i I didn't know these people they were not in my life or part of my life or shaping my life four years ago and now they are there's so many and i there's so many great people yeah um it's just even if nothing else happened, like I could never say that it was the wrong move. You know what I yeah. mean? Just just based on that alone. I've got friends for life yeah. in in this business where the expectation to and what was told to me mm-hmm. about flaky California Fake. and blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. and I, I encountered that just as much in every other market, if not more so sure. than I did here. Yeah. And I, I and I feel like you know, the, yeah, the, the friendships that, and the people I've met just, just at one talent agency in one little lobby. I know. You know, and, and, and supporting each other and laughing at each other's bits and just doing stuff. It's like, yeah, you know, it, it's, it's, it's the kind of life I want to be living of like hanging out with my friends and, yep. you know, yeah. I know. Sometimes I'm just like, I'm kind of living the life I always wanted to live. It's like really weird to say that or yeah. think that about yourself. It'd be nice to have an extra 50 grand lying around. <laughs> It'd be but... nice to have a husband. But, um, you know, short <laughs> <Amen>. of that. <laughs> baby steps. That's right. Totally baby steps. What's happening right now that's going to make me meet my husband a year from now? That's right. I don't think anything. Bad. Damn it. Okay. Real quick. I want to talk about um, vocal cord insurance. Do you know about this or have you heard about this? No. 
Me either. Well, I sort of heard something about it and I reached out to this company. I'm like, do you insure vocal cords? And they were like, we don't, but you can, we have like a, I don't know, a, it's kind of like insurance, how there's a yeah. insurance company, then brokers or whatever. There's some like broker here in LA or something that you really? can go to. I need to talk to them about that because like, do Are you, you ever think about? I, I think about, I wasn't really thinking about it until David Sobolov came in here and told me he lost his voice for six months one time. Oh. So yeah. And Sobolov is like, you know, he was like, it was scary. Yeah, it was scary. Like, what do I do? Yeah, what do I do? Eventually, this stuff is going to stop running. I know. And then you know, so like, and you know, if Betty Grable can insure her legs, or Michael Flatley can insure his feet, I think we could find somebody to do. And I'm dead serious that I'm looking into that. Like, I want to, I want to do that because why not? It's your, it's your instrument. It's your job. Why can't you insure it like everything else? Well, if you are listening and you know anything about <laughs> uh, about this particular issue, please uh, tweet. Uh, Rachel, how do you get? In, how do people get in touch with you? Rachel A. Butera on Twitter. At Rachel A. Butera on Twitter. And you're B-U-T-E-R-A. B-U-T-E-R-A. And you can also tweet uh, the show all over voiceover. Or, uh, my handle is uh, at all over VO. And and uh, the website allovervoiceover.com. Do you have a site or anything like that? Um, I do, but it needs to be redone. It's just rachelbutera.com. Okay. All my jokes are on Facebook, as you know. Yes. So if you really want the down and dirty essence of me, <laughs> you're gonna find it on my Facebook page or my Twitter page. Sometimes I forget to tweet. I'm for some reason I'm hooked on the Facebook thing. If you tie, I did this with I think my my fan page that I have 187. Oh likes, yeah, me too. Is I've linked uh the fan page to my Twitter. I so, did that too. And except that, I never write on my fan. I never page. write on my fan page never either. Ever. I write for my friends. Me too. And, and but and, and my friends are on my fan page. Yeah, it's not I like know. I have fans on there. I know it's it's just it's not <laughs> it's so working crazy. for me. <laughs> I'm trying so desperately to figure out. Are I don't you, know. You're on, are you on Instagram too? Yeah, it's Rachel A. Butera as well okay, on great. Instagram. Um, awesome. Yeah. So that's about it. Dude, thank you so much for coming. Are we coming. done? Yeah, we're kind of done. We I'm, weren't really funny at all. I don't care. Okay. I feel like um, it was it was a really true analysis of what it is to live this life and to do it and, and the ups and downs and all yeah. that other kind of stuff. And it's exactly what I was hoping for. Good. If people want to study with you, what were they voice tracks west? Um, well, no, I teach through Edge Studio. Oh, through Edge Studio. Yeah. Great. So, um, yeah. So it's funny because they're the ones who did my demo like yeah. seven, eight years ago or whatever <laughs> it is. And now I'm coaching for them too. So yeah, Edge Studio in New York. Awesome. Um, and then I teach at Voice Tracks West, uh, for them. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Yep. Rachel A. Butera. Dude, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. So you much betcha. fun. Uh, if you like the show, well, I'm about to say that in the promo, so never mind. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thank you. Peace. This has been All Over VoiceOver with Kiff VH. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes and give us a positive rating. It truly helps. Follow me on Twitter at KiffVH or on Instagram at KiffVH or on Vero at KiffVH. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you soon. Claim victory and depart the field. Werewolf? Yeah.